You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and also learn a little Zen along the way. All right, we have quite the interesting episode today, but before we get going, let's check out a little bit of the soundscape here. It's actually raining and it's cold. Can you hear it? Oh, yes. Gotta love it. Okay, we are going to talk about how to go pro. We had a podcast listener send in an email asking, how how do you go pro? How do you get there? And she's, I think, around 20 years old. And I spend way too much time describing how I would go through the process or the process Uh, based on all the years of interviews I've done with pro triathletes that successfully uh, bridged over and my own experiences of getting faster and what what changes I made uh, to make that happen and also as a coach uh, the ways that what your what coaches are looking for to tell you um, what you should be doing and it's a it's a whole range of stuff. So a lot of us uh, will find that uh, useful to improve ourselves. Uh, interesting to see what um, it, it really takes to go pro, and a whole lot more stuff like that. Also, I have tips on how to meditate while you're working out. So there's such a thing as moving meditation. If you go to a Zen center or a a a true meditation, a Buddhist meditation uh, prayer hall, kind of depends on what they call it, where you are. Um, There's sitting meditation, which we're all very familiar with, but there's also moving meditation. And what you do is you move, you walk in a line, for example, they, they let you do what you want. um, But they say, we're going to, we're going to either go outside or stay inside. It's up to you, but pay attention while you're walking. And, I went out into the parking lot the time that I did this and carefully, I think I took off my shoes and carefully walked from one end of the parking lot to the other. And I still remember that one walk today. So this is a formal thing, moving meditation. But I've learned over the years on how to transfer that over into biking and swimming and and even running. Um, how to pay attention to what's going on while you are training. And then you can really pay attention to the stuff that matters once you learn this, like the the real things that matter, which is your effort level and your heart rate and your breathing rate. And with those things going on, you can uh, modulate your efforts so that you do the right workout at the right time that you need right now. It's really cool. So that is moving meditation, and we're going to talk about that, how to do that triathlon style here in a second. And speaking of running, 
I got a new pair of running shoes. They're the Ultra. That's the brand. Escalantes. So they have the same material as the Boost, the Adidas Boost material, which is fantastic, fantastic running shoe material. But they're no rise in the heel, so they're flat. They're and they're also um, a wide front, really wide front toe box. So your front toes, <laughs> all your toes are in the front. I hope, but so that your toes can spread out more and it's they're they're really great and so i took my first few runs in them and i talk about it on the podcast all about them so we've got our our initial impressions review on down the road i'll talk about them some more i've been running in them plenty more uh, since i recorded that part and then also i add in a commentary on an insight that i have Uh, zen is is full of insights like these collections that once you start paying attention and realizing uh, how the world works around you. Those are, uh, you know, like moments of enlightenment. And I had a real insight on time, on the concept of time, and how we, we can suffer by refusing <laughs> to, to acknowledge that time is real, time exists, and you can use it to your benefit. There's a, there's a, a belief that enlightenment isn't anything more than responding skillfully and once you acknowledge once you quit denying that time passes predictably then you can actually use time once you start believing in it you can use time in your favor and i talk for a little while about how to do that and also the problems we run into uh, when we don't do that so that's our. Uh, that's going to be our episode today. The rain picked up and then it it uh, backed off a little bit again. Okay, let's go ahead and mention our lead sponsor right here before we get into the show. Three PM Bites, and let's let's read uh, what they sent me. But also, <laughs> I'm going to give commentary because I ate some more of these yesterday afternoon and they're so good. Okay, do you crave for a chocolate or a cake or a cookie? but often feel guilty, empty calories, sugary, uh, all that stuff. It'll slow you down. 3 p.m. bites are zero, in all caps, compromise, zero guilt treats for athletes. Hey, that rhymes. That's pretty cool. Zero compromise on taste because if it didn't taste good, it ain't gonna matter. (laughs) Zero compromise on ingredients with 100% real ingredients. The way food should be, the way our grandmothers made it. Okay, Brett commentary right here. Coach Brett big study just came out that said it really doesn't matter what you eat uh, so much as far as like high fat, low fat and all that stuff. It's the quality of the food. And what's going on there is honestly, it's fiber and and the nutrition content. So like the vitamins and minerals, that is what fills you up. That is what activates your body's metabolism. That's what gets food through you faster uh, so that you feel better, you have more energy and that's what this kind of stuff is, where it's real ingredients. Okay, back back to the 3pmbites.com. The way food should be, okay, we already said that. Uh, plus, they are certified organic, vegan, plant-based, kosher, with added superfoods and zero added sugar or sweetener. We should make a, a brand of, I should make a brand of food where I've got a friend that's, um, 
a reverend, you know, out of the back of Rolling Stone magazine where he blesses it. <laughs> it's like gluten-free and uh, kosher, da-da-da, all that stuff. And then also blessed by a priest. That would be so cool. Anyway, uh, the team of athletes and chefs at 3PM Bites know that everyone has a sweet craving. Sweet cravings. Mine's chocolate, man. I love chocolate. Uh, no matter how pro or novice an athlete we are, these bite-sized truffles are decadent yet full of healthy ingredients. And I got to make a side, another side commentary here. These are truffles. I thought when I opened them that they'd be more like, you know, something that you could eat a lot of. No, they are so rich in flavor that you only want like one or two. And then you're like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> because it about knocks your mouth off your face. You're like, whoa, that is strong. And um, that's what that's the way desserts and treats and stuff like that should be. You know, where you, uh, you have, uh, you have a little bit and then you are satisfied. Okay. Then uh, let's see with their chocolate coffee or peanut butter truffles. These flavors will keep you fueled and ready to go. Exclamation points. Find 3 PM bites on Amazon and order a few bags today. Use discount code Zentri 10. So Z E N T R I. And then the number 10. Uh, no space. Zentri 10 to get up to 10% off your first order. Okay, cool. I'm about out. I've finished off. It took me a while like to eat them all. Uh, they're so rich. And God dang it. I went to Freebirds for uh, lunch and I was craving a chocolate chip cookie on the way there or before I even left. I knew I was probably going to order a chocolate chip cookie and I ate that. I should have had one of these. I should have had a, a 3 p.m. Bites, a, a chocolate one. Dang it, Brett. You messed up again. Okay. Anyway, that is our lead sponsor. Thank you so much, 3PM Bites, for helping sponsor the show. Let's go ahead and get into our regular content with our email from Emmy in France wanting to know about how to go pro. Here we go. Right, I have a question from Emmy in France, <clears throat> who's a uh, around a 20-year-old female, and she's asking about how to go pro. And I emailed her back, and I said, "Well, which distance?" <laughs> and because I I had in my mind this exact thing that I'm about that she's about to say is uh, half Ironman and Ironman distance because uh, she got started too late to do, uh, to be pro at like the, um, the Olympic distance. And that's uh, mostly true. Uh, she's, she's very right. Um, Kai, my son, might have a chance someday of going pro at the, um, at the short distance stuff because he started when he was six years old. And you gotta remember that um, he's not even the best. <laughs> <laughs> and in our area, uh, there's other kids like them. And uh, those are the kids that end up being competitive in college and, uh, and then on. So the upside, though, is long-distance triathlon. You don't need a huge background in it to um, go pro. The reason why you need it in the short-distance stuff is because they're training flying dismounts, the craziest fast 
uh, transitions and stuff that really do add up that are skills you develop uh, when you're young. Okay, anyway, long distance is majorly, majorly about endurance and consistency and efficiency. And uh, technically, the way you uh, qualify to be a pro in triathlon is you have to, it depends on the country that you live in, but from the exam, for example, in the United States, it's something like it has to be a race over a certain amount of people. Let's say it has to have more than a thousand people in it or something like that. Uh, these are all written online. You can go look it up for your country. And also you have to finish within, there, there has to be a pro field and you have to finish within a certain percentage of the time or certain minutes of the time or something like that of, of the winner. And there, and there has to be a prize purse of over so many dollars. And so all these things are to make it so that this race is a real race with a competitive field. And then if you do, if you finish within, say the time is, you know, uh, 20 minutes of the winner, then um, then you can get your pro card. And sometimes you have to do like more than one race. You have to do you have to do this like twice or three times in a year or something like that. So uh, we used to have an Olympic distance. It probably still might be uh, that was a um, the real deal, and uh, that was the Kima Triathlon. And I had my sights set just for kicks to see how close I could get to uh, qualifying at it as a pro because I thought I was pretty close. I got second in my age group when I was in my 30s um, and qualified for Alcatraz there. And that time was within just a few minutes of qualifying, I think, as a pro. Um, but then the year that I really trained for it and thought really about qualifying as a pro, uh, they canceled the bike, which was odd because of flooding on the bike course at the last minute. And we ended up with, uh, I ended up eating a bunch before the race, but then uh, went right from the, you know, cause I was expecting to bike off of that. And then went right from the swim into the run. And I was, my stomach was just too heavy. And uh, I had a crappy, not even a good race. I had a kind of a crappy race. And that's the, uh, that's the breaks. But it was just for fun. I was just kind of seeing, you know, what I could do. Anyway, um, so that, those are examples of like the technical stuff. Now, Ironman races like 70.3s, uh, Ironman, full Ironmans, they're loaded with these qualifications that I just described. You know, huge field, prize money, pro field. Um, only, only sometimes, you know, your gender may not have a pro field because they're doing this thing where there's no female pros or there's no male pros. Okay. Now, the other thing is... Um, I wanted to mention this. Once you get to be a pro, if you're a female, um, the stupid tactics that I think are actually pointless are nowhere near used as much by the females than, than the males. Uh, and what I'm talking about is breaking off the front on the bike and attacking on the bike and attacking on the bike and attacking on the bike, which is, in my mind, is just so dumb. And then you talk you talk to, to male pros and they're like, oh yeah, it's totally necessary. You know, you got to do this. It's a totally different race. And it's like, yeah, okay. But 
that just burns up calories and who won Kona? You know, um, what was his name? It's hard to pronounce his name too. God, I can't remember, but Lionel Sanders got second attacking off the bike and he got passed by the guy that methodically and slowly caught up from behind, you know, and, uh, that, that risky attacking off the front that pays off one time out of 10, that's totally a test. That's a, uh, that is the medical description, psychological description of what testosterone does to people, risky behavior. So women don't have the, um, testosterone poisoning that guys do (laughs) so they race very calculated and that's very smart in longer distance racing less risks because a risk that you mess up on uh i mean you got to time it perfectly and uh let other people take risks and blow up and then you can just pass them on the run and take the win or do really good and qualify for your uh for your pro car. Okay, now, and I was saying that because, you know, Emmy is a uh, female and she's going to be racing against other females to uh, try to get these spots. Okay, well, now, but let's say she's an age grouper, which she said, she's an age grouper and she's trying to get enough training where in five years or something like that, she could be good enough to go pro. And she's very general, like she's very athletic, but just very generally athletic. And so how do you qualify for a pro card? And I'm taking that as how do you get fast enough to be a pro, right? So first thing you do is you look at the times of pros at races. And, and like the slowest pros, for example. Um, and Or the finishing times that are within the certain percentage. Stuff that would qualify you to be a pro. Look at those. Get an idea of those paces. And that's the great thing, is when it goes long, um, the paces, they're impressive for sure, but you don't need to be a genetic freak to do any of those paces. Triathlon rewards the average person that just trains a lot, long distance triathlon. You don't need to be a genetic freak. Um, Ironman, people are winning races, running a seven-minute mile, you know, and eight-minute mile. You qualify for Kona with a with a nine-minute mile, eight-minute mile. That is not <laughs> out of the reach of anybody. And then the bike paces, when you actually look at the watts, yeah, they're kind of high, but they're trainable, and they are not the caliber by any means of a professional cyclist who is a genetic freak. So this is all trainable. And then uh, swimming can just be trained by just uh, getting more and more efficient, kind of paying attention to what you're doing, which I'm going to describe here in a second. Okay, so knowing all that, it's very attainable. Um, you just need to be, genetically, you just need to be athletic, right? Just all around, kind of, a, kind, of a, kind of an athlete, but not particularly gifted in one particular sport, which it sounds like Emmy is. She's, uh, she's all around athletic, which is great. Okay, the next thing is, in your training, you the number one thing, number one, one two punch. These are all very important. They're hard to decide which when I was looking at my list, but one two punch is, you need to create an environment of consistency, a very, very consistent environment where you can continuously train over 
pretty much the same pretty much do the same workouts all the time you need some variety you know to improve you but in general you need pretty much the same environment and then you need to be able to measure the metrics of your workouts so that against this background that's very uniform you can see what actually improves you right so if you kind of like pretty much always eat the same kind of thing and you always do this and you always do that, well, when you throw in a extra interval, you can tell like that it was that interval that improved you or that extra interval that made you too tired, right? I, and I cannot overstate this, how important this is to just have a consistent environment which gives you the background to test things or to notice things and with those what you notice and that volume uh, you can tell what actually improves you and you need those metrics you need the heart rate you need the garments with the uh, distances and the paces you need the elevation gains you need uh, the power meter on the bike uh, to just to be able to just constantly test and after each workout you need to look at those metrics and uh, you need to look at are you improving or are you not now the other thing is is you don't train to improve train to have good workouts and then let the improvements happen naturally because if you train to improve, you train to harder numbers all the time, you end up getting overtrained. Um, you need to just train, and then if your numbers are improving, that's great. If your numbers are, are uh, getting worse, you need to figure out why and also take some time off. Okay, then on top of that, um, I, I'm probably gonna describe a swim, bike, and run individually here in a minute. But on top of that, you need to uh, part of your regular training environment is sleep and a nap. <laughs> uh, and you can tell because when pro, when somebody gets good enough to go pro and then they do go pro, um, they usually go, oh, now that I'm pro, they did the right thing to be good enough to be a pro, right? So they really shouldn't change anything. <laughs> they, they improved and improved and improved to become a pro so would you just do the exact same thing and keep improving but no what we tend to do as humans is go this happens over and over and over again i'm a pro now um pro racing is different pro racing is different well i mean you got good enough to be a pro to you know with what you were doing so what they what pro new pros often do is um I follow a guy on Instagram that's doing this right now. I've had this happen to him. They go, okay, I'm going to quit my full-time job and take a part-time job or whatever, you know, whatever they do. However, they end up focusing more on training. I'm going to train even more, right? And because now I've got to because i got to race at this pro level. And they forget that they qualified to be a pro. <laughs> and so then they train more. And 
they so what they should be doing is taking that extra time that they uh, have given themselves by quitting their their job and going part time instead, or you know moving to a place that's more conducive to training. There's all kinds of things that people do. They should take that extra time, that extra dedication, and sleep. That and maybe like eat better or I don't know whatever, but not too much better. Um, that is where you need to be investing your time is in the recovery, because anybody can go out and train. But the limiter, the reason why age groupers stay age groupers and can't go pro, is because of the time that they spend um, at work and taking care of their kids and stuff like that. And when you're doing that, guess what you can't do? Sleep. That's the big, you can't rest and recover. That's the big difference, not training. Pros can train a little bit more, but honestly, there's age groupers out there that train like freaking crazy, but they can't train at the right time of day, right? The, the ideal pro schedule is to sleep in and then after breakfast, uh, let, your, let your breakfast digest an hour or so, then have a morning workout and then have lunch. And see, this is already a huge conflict with work. And then, uh, or your weekend, like taking your kids to soccer and stuff like that. Then uh, have lunch and then um, take a nap after lunch and then have a nice afternoon workout and then have dinner and then uh, go to bed early. That is the pro schedule. Do you see that? Those are midday workouts, like uh, middle of the morning, middle of the afternoon workouts with a nap, going sleeping in and going to bed late, and lots of uh, lots of rest, no stress. Right, that is a pro schedule. And the difference between that and, like, say me, like an age grouper, um, I got to get up at four thirty in the morning, and then I I work out early in the morning, and then I get home and I I eat. After work, I eat and then I work out again in the evening at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> right? That sucks. That's like the worst. You that's a huge cap on like how good you can get. And then on the weekend, I've got to um take Kai to this and do this with family and all this other stuff. Um, because on the weekend I'm trying to make up with family stuff that I miss during the week because I'm at work. It's a huge uh contradiction in lifestyles. So you can tell that it's really the pro caliber athlete, what makes them pro and stay pro is rest, lots and lots of rest. So if you want to go pro, um, if you are f- holding on a full-time job and or have kids, then you've got to figure out a way to um, maximize your rest so that you can get um, that good and then get your pro card. All right, we are going to pick up a little bit more. I'm at home and I need to uh, go in and see what's for dinner (laughs) because I need to eat now so that my food will digest so that I can get on the bike uh, at an hour after that late at night. All right, that's it. I'll be back in a minute. I'll be. All right, it is early, early in the morning. I think it's around 530 and I'm walking up my street, stretching out my legs, getting ready to go run. And I want to talk for a second about salt stick electrolytes. Give them a little bit of a shout out here. 
I've been uh, working on the metabolism, on getting some uh, fat burning going, and I've been running without any kind of fuel, no sugar, no carbs, you know, like six, six, six and a half miles. And the one thing I found that I still want is electrolytes. <laughs> and uh, I'm drinking a little bit of water with me. I've got a running belt with uh, water flasks on. And I uh, put salt stick capsule in there. I broke open the capsule, super easy to do. You just kind of twist it and then squeeze out the uh, powder. And now my water has electrolytes, which helps you recover faster, have, have a better workout and recover faster. It's so inexpensive and so smart to use something like that. And salt stick is a wonderful sponsor of the show. Their electrolytes are used by some of the biggest pros in the sport. And it's because they have not just sodium, but it has potassium and magnesium, all the little stuff in there that actually really matters. What they did was they tested uh, the sweat coming off of athletes and said, okay, this is what people are actually losing. So let's... Uh, Let's put back in them what they're sweating out in the same ratio, actually, as what's coming out. And they're the only company that does that. This is really cool. And they have um, different ways to get salt stick stuff. So they do capsules. And then now they have this, uh, well, they've had the fast chews is what it's, what it's called. It's kind of like a Tums, I guess where it's um it's like a like a little disc you know like a little tums disc and uh you crunch on it and it immediately breaks apart in the powder it's really cool and they've had this for a while they're really great they've got orange and lemon lime and it's uh well what they found out is um people wanted them in these uh little these tiny little kind of firm ziploc bags instead of like the lifesaver role. And that's, uh, it's, that's an easy way to put it in your uh, jersey pocket, you know, and your running shorts pocket, whatever, so you can pop one of these things. And they, <laughs> they taste so good. I've had to restrain myself from just eating them. I'm like, these, these are not candy. <laughs> these aren't a treat. These are, uh, this is a lot of salt. So uh, don't just go, uh, haywire with these things they're really good and it's just really nice having the confidence that i've got electrolytes in my water before i go starting off on a run i'm really looking forward to my run and having that flavor in there and you can get some salt stick by going to saltstick.com and get 25 percent off by going to saltstick.com slash zentry and It'll ask for a password when you try to get there. Salt Stick, um, Joseph at Salt Stick emailed me and said that uh, the Zentri folks are um, some of the highest users of, of promo codes and, and such for Salt Stick. And he's really excited about it. And uh, so we get our own page, which is really nice. So you can go to that website zentry or saltstick.com slash zentry and it says what's the password 
It's very Zen. Knock three times and maybe we'll let you become a monk. <laughs> the password is Zen Try. Isn't that cool? It's pretty easy. And then you can get uh, 25% off a whole bunch of stuff. And that works um, in the United States only. And the, you know, that's the downside. The upside is, is they also have a store locator and you can find uh, stores all over Europe and the rest of the world where they carry salt stick. And salt stick is the one that has that really cool dispenser that you twist and it pushes out another salt stick capsule <laughs> and people zip tie it to their handlebars. It's pretty nice. And all this is to keep you hydrated. And oh man, I live in Texas, dude. It is so brutal here. It's a little cool today, but usually it's really hot. And if you don't add electrolytes and the right kind of electrolytes and the right ratios to your water, then your water runs right through you. And actually, it can be dehydrating to um, not have the electrolytes in your water. Water runs through you. It pulls more water out with it. What you want your water to do is stick to you. So it plumps you up and keeps you hydrated. And my, fra my favorite phrasing that I came up with is uh, make your water stick with salt stick. Isn't that cool? They're going to have to run with that. Okay, that's it for our good friends over there. And thank you guys for supporting Salt Stick, one of our sponsors. And uh, thank you, Salt Stick, for being a sponsor of this show. It's, that is a sponsor that really matters. All right, I got to go run. Let's get back to the show. All right, we are going to continue our recording of how to go pro. It's been uh, 24 hours. I've uh, gone swimming. I'm leaving the pool right now and did three 20-minute blocks. And there's debate on whether you should fuel while swimming. And I think it depends. The Zen answer to everything is it depends. Nothing is black and white. Everything is interrelated. Don't think you know everything. <laughs> Got it all figured out. No, you don't. It always depends. If you want to do intervals and have a strong workout and push hard by the end of swimming an hour it really does help to fuel uh, so I had a bottle of half Gatorade half maltodextrin and uh, hold on I'm hanging my uh, swimsuit here and can't y'all tell hold on jeez and the uh, stop uh, took a big chug of it about a third of it uh, before I started another chug which is about another third of it at 20 minutes and a third chug at 40 minutes just stop for like you know 30 seconds to a minute take a chug and then when I was done polished it off but anyway I can tell that it towards the end of my swim workout, I could talk, really push it and go really, really hard because that fuel compared to not fueling going an hour in. And then also I got that pump, which is how you, how you can tell that you're going to get better next time you go swim. You're going to be faster, more powerful is if, is if your upper body has pump, like all the blood is pumped up and your muscles are kind of inflated. And uh, 
that's a good sign. That's a good sign. So I had that today. Anyway, let's get back to how to go pro. I was swimming, thinking about the other thing. I already made a list though. But hey, there's a runner. Um, let's talk about injury. So you can't get any better if you're injured. And the way to handle that, oh, an injury uh, will sideline your career. It messes you up. It'll take years out of your life. Uh, it does it to almost everybody. Anybody that's really, really, really good, like Jan Ferdino, will credit the fact that he's, uh, well, now he's injured, but he got so good by hardly ever being injured. And so the way you handle it is, you err on the side of fewer intervals, less intense intervals, and less volume. Always, always, if there's a question about it. You just go, no, not going to do it. Because you don't know about an injury until it's too late. So you got a big race coming up. It's got a lot of hills in it. Don't do as many hill intervals as you think you need to do, <laughs> as you want to do. Um, always err on the side of um, a safety zone because it is not worth getting injured. And then if you do have an injury where you can start to tell that it's coming on, you know, it's like a, it's like a, a bug. You're like, eh, I'm not sure. Then you need to err on the side of scaling way back or maybe not doing anything. Um, I cannot stress that enough. You cannot get injured do not get injured stay away from it kai's uh, main competition his friend that's uh more talented than him in running can't hasn't run in a year and now kai is faster than him and this is a very important time in his life this is when you get faster when you're 13 14 this is when you're putting in that a lot of uh technique and form training that you carry on for the rest of your life um, Kai is now faster than him because the other kid can't run much because he's in rehab for that. And also, especially in the case of uh, not so much swimming, but running and biking, do not think that you're, because it hurt running, that it was caused by running. It could easily be caused by biking and vice versa. So don't just assume that it hurts while you run something hurts while you run so you need to cut back on running you need to take a strong look at uh, have you changed something on the bike or did you do something on the bike um, that is causing your issue on the run you can get plantar fasciitis on the run from the bike and then also um, you can be doing things on the other on the other is what we'll call it on the other that are um uh, not letting you heal on the prior. So you got plantar fasciitis from running. Well, doing intervals on the bike is not going to help. Okay, now let's talk about um, the one device that will make the biggest difference when you go pro is, or to get pro, is a power meter on the bike. So a power meter just tells you how, how much force you're putting out. So that not knowing how much work you're doing uh, is, and heart rate tells you your reaction to the work. And miles per hour is kind of the earth's 
and the bike's reaction to your work, which can vary a lot depending on wind and hills. So it's not, it's not reliable whatsoever. But watts, which is your measure of force, uh, force over times repetition, uh, you know, whatever times a uh, cadence. But anyway, watts is how much work you put out. And you can, um, once you know a lot and you need to study this, there's a whole school on it on how to learn um, how to increase your power, how to improve your power, um, how to get more efficient. There's different kinds of power. There's sustained power. There's bursty power. Um, but once you start knowing your your FTP, which is your watts over an hour, um, then you can uh, ride in a race and then have your results so you can go pro um, with your best results. And you won't blow up on the run because you kept it right on the bleeding edge of what you should do on the bike and no more, right? Long distance triathlon, long distance endurance, it's all, it's a chess game. That's what's so brutal about it is you can't out sprint anybody. And in fact, the more power you apply, the more likely you are not to finish and to fail. It's, it's a strategy game of holding back and applying force at exactly the right times and no more ever, ever, and getting really good at that. So what a power meter does is you can tell it um, or you can watch it and you can, and you can have, there's certain metrics you can use, but the best one is normalized power. And normalized means it just takes into account the punchiness. Like if you have to accelerate a bunch to keep up with a pack or something like that, then it takes that into account because that's harder on your body. So it adds a few a few watts for that kind of stuff. So normalized power instead of just average power. Um, and that's it's basically an average power. But through your training, if you watch your training and you need to be looking at what you do like on terrain that's similar uh, to um, your race, there's a you'll, you can find out kind of like what works for you. But in general, if you're really good at triathlon and you've been training, you're in good shape. Uh, it's something somewhere between eighty and eighty-five percent of your FTP is what you can keep on the bike in a half Ironman. And FTP is your you know your average your best watts over an hour. So if you're FTP, you hear people talk about my FTP is 250, my FTP is 300, my FTP is uh, 350, uh, Lionel Sanders is you know 370 or something like that. So what you do is you multiply that times 0.8 or 0.85. It kind of depends on you and how much experience you've got. And then you've got a number, and let's say that that's 200. And what you do is during your your race, you don't go over that number you average that and you try to keep that average throughout the entire race on the bike you don't go like super hard early and then try to um uh you know slack off towards the end there are some times that you want to do that but it's like i said it depends anyway that will set you up so that you can unleash your run and have your best run and you haven't compromised your run and then on an Ironman, it's somewhere between 70 and 75, kind of depends. 
after a few races you can kind of start getting the feel of it and it changes a little bit um 70 75 percent of ftp and this is where this is the magic in long distance triathlon but also part of the it takes part of the fun out of it <laughs> is you just ride and you just don't let it go over that number and you try to get as aerodynamic and as efficient as you possibly can and just stay there and stay five meters or whatever it is or something behind the person in front of you and uh, just just park yourself and stay at that number or below it and that's it and yes that sucks because you're just watching a number and you're not racing and and shooting past other people and slowing down and shooting past and you know it takes all the thrill out of racing but at the same time like I said this is a chess game you've got to have your executive uh, control over yourself and then if you do that when you get off the bike to run you will actually be able to have your best run and then also if you do this on the on the um, on the bike you'll you'll be able to fuel you'll actually be able to take on calories and um, because you're not going too hard to eat all right I got to go into W to the ERK we'll do fueling and I know I got another one. Uh, fueling and there was something else. Okay, uh, when I come back. All right, out, bang. Nutrition. <laughs> All right, we are back. Lunch break. Okay. Next, we're going to talk about efficiency and fueling and food, like diets, because this—that's the uh, the energy inputs and outputs so endurance is all about efficiency and you get there's two forms of efficiency uh, there's a saying uh, rich roll is the first I've ever heard say this but ever since then I've heard it plenty but uh, endurance like Ultraman for example isn't about who's the fastest it's about who slows down who who's cruising speed I'm gonna modify his statement a little bit who's easy speed cruising speed is the fastest and then who slows down the least so first off you got to get your zone two up to be pretty fast zone two is your heart rate that's generally like 180 minus your age and 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 below and that's considered pretty easy and it needs to be about 10 beats below that probably so more like uh, 170 minus your age probably a pretty good place to hang around and the reason why is uh, is two there's several reasons um, one is it allows you to digest food your heart rate gets over that you're gonna have trouble um, digesting food uh, blood moves too much blood moves away from your stomach to, to power your muscles and then also you have a lot more uh, uh, body fat available uh, your body signals to burn more body fat instead of carbs so you've got all these reserves uh, and the fat storage that you've already got you run out of carbs after a while and the the issue is you can increase your speed by doing intervals the problem is is you can't do intervals all the time they wear you out and there's a saying where 
uh, a high tide lifts all boats. So you do interval work and that increases your top end, let's say running speed or biking speed or swimming speed um, because that interval work makes you immediately makes you stronger. So that lifts up and also a lot of times increases your oxygen uh, capabilities, like uh, how much air you can take in uh, your top end. And then what that does is that immediately makes you faster. But you can't do that all the time. <laughs> and it also makes you more powerful so that when you have to do something like go up a hill, it bothers you less. But then your other factor is uh, your just general endurance, which gets into efficiency, efficiency, which we're going to talk about in a second. Um, that you build doing uh, long, slow, and easy. And that you can do lots of, and it doesn't wear you out anywhere near as much. And the way that works is you have the powerhouses, as they always say, of yourselves uh, is mitochondria. And the more slow, long, and easy you do, the more mitochondria you build in your muscles. And also the more the mitochondria uh, become adapted to build to uh, burning body fat instead of glycogen, and again, this is by going slow and easy. Well, zone one, zone two, and the more the higher ratio of body fat stored body fat you can burn, then uh, the more energy, the more fuel you have available to your body, and then the faster you can go. And that is how people who are barely trying at a low heart rate are faster than other people who are trying really hard at a high heart rate and are going the same speed or slower. Now, all this gets back into... Um, so, so you need to work on these, other, these two systems. A little bit of intervals and a lot of the slow and easy. It's nice knowing what I just told you about what each one of them does and to balance it out. You need both. And the other thing is efficiency. So that whole thing about not slowing down. When you work out, one of the primary things that you need to focus on is how can I get more efficient? And what that means is less effort to go the same speed or faster. And a great example is um, a good arrow position on the bike, right? Um, same effort, you can go a lot faster. So that's getting rid of anything that hangs off your bike, any extras, extra junk, right? Well, same thing in swimming. And along with doing your intervals to, to uh, get you that pump, like I was talking about, a fantastic drill is to set a timer on the swim, what you think your Ironman pace is. Uh, say you want to swim an Ironman in an hour. That's a 125 per 100 yards pace. Set a beep on your Garmin to a 125 interval and swim that. And then try things like uh, not crossing over as much doing more forearm catch, head down a little bit, chest down, uh, head facing forward, head, you know, kicking more, kicking less, 
hips up, hips down. Like you can, and you can practice these things, and you can find a, a faster cadence, slower cadence, all this stuff. You can find that actually, at the same effort, you're going faster, and that is kind of like um, transitions, where our free speed, right? Um, you don't need to train much to be faster at transitions. You just need to not be stupid <laughs> and make mistakes, right? Um, so there's the same thing with efficiency where you can, uh, on in the swim, like I just told you, using a beep timer, and then also on the bike, on a trainer, uh, using power and heart rate, you can try different things and see what generates you the most power at the lowest heart rate in a decent arrow position. You could even go to a wind tunnel, which is really expensive, and get tested to make sure that you don't have any uh, low-hanging fruit to um, that catches wind. You know, like your bike setup and stuff. Um, and. That's, that is how you find a good bike fit is what is your highest power at your lowest heart rate and keep messing around with it until you can breathe easily and generate high power and you're in a reasonably good aero tuck. Can't be uncomfortable. It's got to be comfortable. And there are little changes here and there where all of a sudden if you don't arch your back, you get your chest down, this is on the bike, and you move your move your cleats over, you know, up or down, or you do this, that, or the other, that all of a sudden you are generating 10 more Watts at the same heart rate. You know, you lower your seat just a little bit, move your seat forward just a little bit. All of a sudden 10, another 10 Watts at the same power or uh, at the same heart rate. You're like, this is free speed. And these are little things that add up over the, um, over the bike ride. And then on the run, you can do the exact same thing on the treadmill. Get on a treadmill, put on a heart rate strap, and start running. And then, after, after you're all nice and warmed up, look to see different things that you can do that have you... A treadmill's awesome because it's a constant speed. So you can say, okay, um, if I lean forward a little bit more, um, do I run off the, and at the same heart rate, just have your heart rate up in front of you, your watch, you know, like up in front of you on the screen um, or mounted on the treadmill. What is, let's say your heart rate's 130. What can I do where I suddenly start running off the front of the treadmill? Because the treadmill is a constant speed, right? If I lower my hands a little bit, um, do I start running off the front of the treadmill at the same heart rate? Or if I stay at the same speed, does my heart rate drop where it's easier? And you can keep doing this over and over and over again and find little things. Like uh, do I, if I shorten my stride a little bit, if I land more midfoot, if I land more forefoot. Maybe some people need to land more uh, heel strike. Um, it's a lot about head position, relaxing your shoulders, uh, chest position, hip drop, and stuff like that, where uh, against the static background of a um, of a constant speed, you can start finding what's what either makes you faster or is easier um, on the treadmill. So these 
Those, those are your efficiency things. And so you need to have in your mind, like all the time, that half Iron Man and Iron Man is, it's an efficiency competition, <laughs> right? Okay, so then we get into uh, the fueling. And one major thing to know, to know is that maltodextrin is a complex carbohydrate. So it sounds healthy, but it's not. But it's a starch. And with starches, you can load in um, two to three times as many calories without it bothering your stomach because it's not a simple sugar. Simple sh- sugars are like Halloween candy, uh, Jolly Ranchers and, and Gatorade and stuff like that and Cokes where um, it takes uh, a lot more water for them to digest in your stomach. And uh, maltodextrin passes through you uh, way more easily um, without being uh, tough on your stomach. And therefore, you can get in more calories because, again, it's a—it's not just an efficiency uh, competition. It's an eating competition. It's like who can get in the most calories without getting sick. And one thing that a lot of pros do is they train themselves during training to eat a lot so that on race day they can eat a lot. Whatever you do in training, you're going to end up doing in um, on races. There's a downside that you have to not... Your diet still needs to be somewhat healthy. Yeah, you're going to burn a lot of this off, but you can get so dependent on carbs that you... Um, you can't function without them. And then on race day, you can't eat enough uh, carbs to, um, to to fuel you. You're, you're too carb dependent, right? And uh, I should back up. Um, your fuel probably should be a mix of simple and complex carbs. So like, uh, like this, this Martin stuff is, um, it's about a third simple sugars and two-thirds uh, maltodextrin. Uh, and simple sugars would be like fructose sucrose. Because your body actually can use both, it, they don't compete with each other for um, the same channels of absorption, sort of. But anyway, if you do a little bit of research and find out somebody who's your age, your size, your gender, and how many carbs they actually take in to win on race day. And um, I'm about the same size as uh, uh, Starkowicz. And he eats like 400, 450 calories per hour on the bike. <laughs> and, and then on the run, you can't eat anywhere near as much because you're bouncing and stuff like that. But on the bike, you can power it down. So, But that allows him to, um, to put out a huge amount of, of energy on the bike. And then, um, and you always got to look at the ratio, right? Yeah, I'm eating, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm eating 200 calories during my one hour workout, but I'm also burning 900 calories during my, uh, workout. So I, you know, the ratio is actually a lot smaller. So, the whole science of how much... Oh, before your race, you need to carb load it up um, and bank that stuff. But how much to carb load 
is um, that's a whole science in itself. We can talk about another show. Generally, just tapering for for a week. You're loading up on carbs. You don't need to carb load tons. But then the race morning, uh, a lot of people uh, load up on some more carbs, like uh, bagels and stuff like that uh, before the race. And then uh, and then you let it digest. You let it. You eat it like four in the morning and then let it digest. But then. Um, how to not become carb dependent yet take in so many carbs during the race uh and during training is a it is a double bind irony uh catch 22 that no one seems to be able to figure out very well there's this new idea of intermittent fasting which i don't entirely disagree with because i found it to actually somewhat work uh work pretty well but um, you need to try this for yourself and then uh, see what you think. And this is on occasion, you know, eat all the carbs you want and all that stuff. But then on occasion, going without eating any sugar and break yourself of being carb dependent, like going into a fast and then forcing your body to switch over in the fat burning. And doing that on occasion, like say once a week or once every two weeks or something like that, seems to reset your metabolism to not be so sugar dependent. Like it wakes it up and it goes, oh, I need to, um, I need to be able to burn body fat. So let's, but you have to get to that point where you're so hungry that you're shaking and then you feel like, cause you're carb dependent and you feel like, um, you're going to die. That's a bad sign. That's a sign that you're really carb dependent, but uh, you do that like once, and then the next time that you do it, you'll notice that you can go a lot longer. Uh, if you can skip a meal or put off a meal by an hour or two and you don't get the shakes, that's a good sign. That's a sign that you're not carb dependent, that your body can actually burn uh, its own stored body fat as well. That's a really good sign. Okay, and then last, before I get off the mic for this, is, um, well, there's two last. Uh, one is uh, social media get good at social media and um, not being critical of other people and being a positive influence and all other stuff. And that'll help you get uh, and, and tweet and Instagram what you're doing and training and what you use and your good times and stuff. And, uh, and that you're real is the other thing. A little bit of your bad times, you know, that you're really real and get a little bit of a following. If you're fast, people will love to follow you and, and give, give advice kind of here and there. Uh, as far as like what you know that works and um, as an up-and-coming age grouper and possibly pro you'll get uh, sponsors that want to help you out and that'll that'll make affording all the uh, bike stuff uh, a lot easier and then also stay away from fad diets pro triathletes in 99% of them do not mess around with uh, low carb, high fat, you know, this, that, and the other, they just, uh, they eat pretty much middle of the road, probably higher carb and they watch what they eat somewhat and, uh, keep their weight down somewhat. They, uh, uh, you get running is one thing where if you get and cycling a little bit, the individual sports, or one thing where if you get your weight really far down, yeah, you're faster. 
And but the thing is, is half Ironman and Ironman are much longer events, and you need to be tough. And to be tough, you need to be solid. And to be solid, uh, you can't be fragile with your weight. Um, you can't go down in weight and be as uh, thin and um, delicate like tissue paper. You'll be more like cardboard <laughs> instead of tissue paper. You want to be light, but you want to have some some strength, some structural strength to you, right? And um, so you don't want to get so light and so focused on losing weight that you um, that you don't have the durability to withstand a half a day to a full day of a race because um, that extra, a little bit of that extra muscle and fat on you um, and water weight will actually serve you throughout the, uh, the day of the race. So you got to remember like people that are a slight, a slight bit overweight end up survive. They have a higher life expectancy than people that are uh, at perfect body weight or slightly under body weight. And it's because when they have to endure something that's hard in life, like an illness or something like that, like say cancer, they, um, they've got some reserves that to tap into, uh, to take them through the tough times. And that's, uh, that's a good lesson to learn that, um, being super lightweight, um, there's a triathlon is full of people that, uh, are currently have eating disorders, but also former eating disorders. And they said that they learned that they, they had to just learn to love their body at its performance best, not what looks the best. And then that ends up being uh, their fastest and their most enjoyable um, racing is um, what is actually, uh, what works. Not what looks good, but what actually works. All right, I need to, um, we're going camping this weekend, so I need to go into the house and uh, pack for my camping trip. If I think of anything else, I'll, uh, I'll add it on to the end here, all right? Okay, Emmy, that's, <laughs> that's everything on uh, how to go pro. Of course, there's a whole lot more than that. Um, look at everybody that's going pro and do the middle of the path of like everybody and stay away from the outliers. The outliers are... Um, probably going to burn out or um, they're doing something that's not sustainable and they're going to get injured. So you want to look at what's the most general, um, what's the most general way to get there, the safest way to get there. And also um, the stair stepping thing seems to be pretty good. you need to remember this, you know, like you train and then when you start getting tired and you, with all these metrics I was talking about earlier, you can tell when your performance is are uh, starting to decline in training and in racing take time off uh take a take a week easy uh, even two weeks easy and um and then when you come back uh you'll notice that you're actually faster and stronger than before you just needed that you just weren't getting enough rest in to um to be able to use that you're just beating yourself down and it wasn't actually helping you okay i'll be back out bang all right, welcome to the Zentri Mobile Studios. We're getting in the uh, the the vehicle of choice, Nissan Xterra. Driving to W to the ERK. I had a uh, interesting bike ride this morning, and I did a meditation ride. And I thought I would describe what a meditation workout is for those of you that want to 
get down with your zen. Oh, I'm backing out of the driveway here. All right. What I've found is if you are going long, you're you're training for a half Ironman and, and longer. You're training for an ultra swim, a marathon swim, long bike ride. I'm doing a Grand Fondo, hopefully. And uh, it's a 100-mile bike ride. So you're talking five hours plus. Maybe less if I'm really lucky. And how do you... Uh, oh, well, you're, you're training for really big stuff. And once you start training long hours, you got to be careful with the amount of intervals. They don't really help you all that much. You just need to spend a lot of time. It's called tits. Time in the saddle. <laughs> I don't know why... People use that, but I guess because it's memorable. But anyway, so what is of great benefit is uh, long periods of time. Now the problem is, is this can get really boring, and there's two ways uh, to deal with that. Now the classic way that everybody thinks about, and that most people have used to uh, success. Spending hours is to watch movies, go on long bike rides outside for sure. Uh, but right now it's um, 40 degrees and it's raining and it's dark. <laughs> uh, sun just came up a little while ago, but when I was riding it was dark. So this is not an ideal time to be out riding your bike. Uh, but you're so what's uh, great is a trainer and. Same thing in the in the pool, right? You got uh, just lap after lap after lap after lap. So what I've come up with that really seems to work nicely is meditation workouts. And that's where you find something to focus on that's internal and that you create and then you try to stick with that and watch your body's reaction and your mind's reaction to that. And this this gets really interesting because the whole point of meditation is to try to still the waters, get something consistent and simple, and then watch your your mind your mind's reaction to stuff that is really, uh, it allows things to pop up that you're just like, well, that's, that you can't do anything about because you've promised yourself you're going to stick with something. And uh, then, you, then you realize that things that are, that are actually, they, they feel bothersome, but if you sit long enough, they go away. And then what that's doing is training you that things that are bothersome a lot of times go away on their own. You wouldn't know this unless you were, I've promised yourself to sit for a long time and not move. But because you have, when that annoying thing comes up and you can't do anything about it, and then that annoying thing goes away, what that's doing is training you to maybe not react to every little thing. And self-control is what you're training right there. And this goes back to the uh, scientific studies that show that people that demonstrate more self-control early on, they do the marshmallow test. They put marshmallows 
out in front of a bunch of little kids and uh, well one kid at a time and they say okay um, leave these here uh, don't mess with these okay and then the adults leave the room and then if the kids can restrain themselves they follow these kids throughout their lives and uh, the kids that uh, restrained themselves and didn't eat any marshmallows uh, had way more successful lives and careers jobs money than the kids who couldn't restrain themselves. And this is teachable. Maybe a little bit of it's inherited, but a lot of it's, you know, something that you can work on. And so you can you can teach the self-restraint uh, while you're exercising, while you're training for triathlon. And long distance, triathlon is the uh, perfect place to do this. And not only that, um, it makes you a better triathlete. Because um, long distance uh, endurance events, the person that goes, the person that wins, or people that do great, or people that have fun, you don't have to win, but people that cross the finish line, you know, feeling accomplished, are the ones that did not succumb to giving in to dumb temptations like a guy passes you on the bike and you're like oh I should keep up keep up with that guy well that's like the marshmallow you should you could uh, envision this right when somebody passes you imagine them as a marshmallow man <laughs> right and then you go oh yeah I don't need to I don't I, I better not try to keep up with that guy because you'll blow up and then you'll actually go slower if you finish it all you know uh, when you're it's a hill and you start charging up that hill to go over the hill you, you're not supposed to charge up over the hill you need to be calm and ride up it casually and gracefully and uh, you're actually faster if you don't work too hard going up the hills if you actually uh, hold back up the hills and so you can imagine the hills are uh, made out of marshmallows if you want i just made this up this podcast like just now so who knows but the marshmallow thing i mean that was a real thing but i'm saying it visualizing but it works so what I did this morning is something I've been doing a lot lately. I've been actually doing it for a long time when I think about it uh, because I used to do this before I got the Zwift video games and all the YouTube and the tablets and the computer and stuff all set up. Um, you get on your bike and at most you put in uh, music or podcast. That's it. And your bike computer. And uh, you turn on your bike computer in front of you. So this morning I did an hour bike ride. And uh, start pedaling, start going, you know, and then turn on your bike computer, turn it on, and then just watch your heart rate and then control your breathing and try to ride zone two. And what's really cool that I've noticed that um, if you do something similar in the pool enough, then you can use that feeling that you got in the pool on the bike and on the run so in the pool what you can do is just count your strokes as you cross the pool i count on one side and that way it's easier to count you know because once the number gets if you count both sides and the number starts getting really high and it's hard to keep track of your number if you're in a 25 year pool so it's like on one side i go one two three four five six seven right and then I'm counting, I'm counting on the side I breathe on. I count on my right side. And I actually swim with my eyes kind of half closed 
every once in a while I peek and make sure that the line, I'm over the line, or if there's two people in my lane, you know, I'm off to the side. And then when I hit like six or seven, for me, I kind of peek and I go up, it's about time to uh, do a flip turn. There's the wall, flip turn, swim back. One, two, three, four, five. And this doubles up is a really cool technique because it helps you count uh, as you change up your form a little bit and you realize that with this at the same cadence um, what if you do your head a little bit higher and chest lower for example we just do chest lower head the same um, you actually takes fewer strokes at the same cadence which means you're going faster same effort fewer strokes to get across the pool and what happens is, is you have to find like a hypnotic trance like rhythm and let go of needing breaks and all that stuff and just go and then what you notice is that your breathing is a huge indicator of your issues if you start having to breathe really hard you'll notice that you'll go faster for maybe a lap or two but then you're going to kind of blow up and, and go slower and if you control if you never sacrifice air and you always just breathe casually and get a good breath every stroke and a good breath off the wall and before going into the wall um, and just kind of work on your position a little bit, you'll notice that you um, you actually go faster. And then you do this for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You work your way up to 40, 45 minutes. 50 minutes, 55 minutes to an hour. I do an hour of this and I'm just casually just swimming along. And as I'm doing it, I'm getting better because I'm actually improving my stroke because I'm focusing on um, what takes, I'm just counting. It's super simple. I'm just counting, but then um, I can count how many strokes it takes to get across to the other side uh, without trying too hard. And without trying too hard, what actually uh, makes me, I'm gonna pass this car, what makes me um, get across sooner, without, but without trying too hard, right? And you can watch the breath. You know that your breath uh, starts getting out of control and that your, um, the number of strokes starts climbing all of a sudden, then you're trying too hard. You need to pause, slow down, start over. Right? You can take a break at the wall for a few seconds and kind of start over. Well, that pattern of breathing, that casual breathing, that's your zone two. Well, you can take that over to the bike. So you're on the bike on the trainer or in a heart rate strap now. And you can see um, that that's, you know, whatever effort that you're doing is so many miles per hour or so many watts or whatever. And then your heart rate. And then now you're breathing and you're like, okay, when I was doing success, when I was successful at this in the pool, how was I breathing? And you're like, oh yeah, okay, so breathe like this on the bike, right? If you're huffing for air, that's not good. That's too, you're going too hard. Relax, relax. Okay, but you know, how do I relax and still um, keep my cadence in the mid 80s? It's really good. And uh, that's like the breaking point of you're putting out work, but you're not doing too much torque. It's not going to wear you out too soon. And yeah, if you're not up there yet, it just takes a few rides and you can get up into the mid 80s. So 
you know, I want to ride in the mid 80s, but keep my heart rate in zone two and and then casually just ride and and uh, with nothing except for maybe music in your headphones. And I use the Apple AirPods. And uh, sometimes I listen to Zen podcasts uh, by Zen Masters because um, those are very uh, you're learning, but it's very calm and very nice. And so uh, lately I've been listening to y- Yokoji Zen. Y-O-K-O-J-I Yokoji And it's a British guy But he's lived in Los Angeles forever And I think he's a Zen master And um, But it's a Los Angeles based um, I think it's in the mountains though East of Los Angeles I think it's way east of the mountain uh, Of LA Um, And so I'm just I've been binge listening to that I just love it Uh, He rings true, true with me Because he's a guy I like the accent But he's also American um, so he's talking about American issues and stuff. Uh, Austin's Zen Center is also really good. And so I'm just uh, casually riding and listening to this and just watching my breathing. And every once, I'm, but I'm riding with my eyes closed, but I'm in the arrow position. And I try to have my chin down and my uh, chin forward. So I'm looking forward because you want to practice this while you're on, on the tri bike. Because if you always have your head down, then on race day or on long rides, your neck's going to kill you. You need to practice having your head up and looking forward. And then on my bike computer, I have a beep timer. Every five minutes, I take a sip of water or a sip of fuel or both. And that's just like Zen um, meditation where they have a timer beep every once in a while. And that brings you back to whatever. If your mind's wandered off to something stupid, then that beep goes off and you're like, they, they hit a bell and, uh, but, or a wooden block, but you are brought back. You go, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be paying attention to my breath. You have something that you know that you're supposed to be paying attention to. So on the bike, it can be your heart rate and your breathing and see how that's relating to your, um, to your power output or your speed or whatever you're measuring your output with. And with this, you can just sit there and do five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes. And then when you're, when you're done, you feel like so relaxed. You got in an awesome workout, but you also feel so relaxed and, um, and in control And the biggest tip that I've got is the things that do pop up that you feel like you uh, need to write down is before you start your bike ride on the trainer is um, have either your phone or a piece of paper out uh, ready to take down notes because a lot of times things pop up. They're like shower thoughts, you know, like, oh, crap, I've got a meeting today at 830. I need to get to work a little bit early so I'm, I'm ready, right? Or, oh, man. That, uh, that, that other guy I work with um, asked me to post something on the city's, uh, uh, or on the, um, on the company's website or something like that. And you're like, oh yeah, I need to do that. Or, oh yeah, I got this. Or, oh yeah, I got that. Right? And so then you can capture those and then go right back to uh, being calm and, uh, and, and uh, relaxed. Now, the other thing that's really cool is something that might come up is you might start visualizing the, um, the, your next event, right? And that's actually really cool. That's really smart. 
pulling out the keys here. If you start uh, in your mind, you could create a movie that's way better than any movie that you uh, watch on YouTube or whatever of the actual uh, situation, the bike course. And then you can go through in your mind like, um, oh, if this happens, do this, right? If I have a flat tire, do this. You know, if, if this, if I, um, at this age station, do this, right? So you're doing a visual rehearsal of uh, your event that you're going to be in your next event. Or you could do like an old event that you were in and like how great it was or something like that. And the visuals are so great. I learned this on swim team. They had us do this before our big swim meets. They had us visualize the perfect race. And then um, during the race, uh, when things did crop up, we had already made the decisions on how to do it right, right? Um, you would visualize your goggles breaking. Okay, your goggles just broke. Um, but you've got a spare pair, <laughs> right? Oh, you're, you end up too close to the wall for your flip turn, but you still put all your effort into doing the best flip turn that you can, right? So you do go through like things going wrong. So in triathlon, you would be like on the bike, you'd be like, um, oh, you got a flat tire. Okay, but you've packed all the stuff uh, to, to change your flat tire. So now you're changing your flat tire. What... And then you start asking yourself, what the hell do I need to change my flat tire? Do I actually have that? And, oh, out comes the piece of paper. And then you write down, okay, I need to make sure I got my tube change kit, you know, uh, CO2 cartridges and all this stuff, all right? See how this all starts working out? Isn't it great? But anyway, that's what I did this morning. And um, I love it. I love it. And yeah, you go back to watching videos or whatever, but it's nice to have this as a tool in your toolbox. Okay, that's it. I got to go into W2DRK because I have a meeting to go to. All right, talk to y'all later. Out, bang. All right, we're leaving to go to W to the ERK. A couple things before I forget. Um, one, if you want to become a master, Zen master or a pro triathlete would be a master at endurance sports of sorts, if you can keep your shit together, is um, a master carpenter is somebody who makes features out of their mistakes. And what that means, the implication, because of the implication, is that you're going to make mistakes. So that whole thing, you know, it's not falling down. It's what you're getting back up. And that's not exactly even, I mean, that's true. But it's what do you do with what you learned when you, fall, when you fell down? All right. So think about that. Making features out of your mistakes. Also... I forgot to mention on the Ultra Escalantes is they are very light. I guess it's because there's not as much heel that drops the weight a little bit. And that's great for long distance running too because study show is kind of variable, but you can't deny physics and weight adds up over time. And my Ultra Boosts are actually for, uh, they're kind of heavy. They're a little bit heavy running shoes. And on top of that, Wait, let me check my recording to make sure I'm not screwed up here. Got to check the face ID. And is it going? Is it going? Yes, it is recording. And do we have the Bluetooth off? Yes. Okay. Uh, 
a big danger in running and especially trail running, but also running street running uh, with Kurt, you know, you go over sidewalks and the edges of pavement is turning your ankle. So many runners uh, twist their ankles. And here's a guy walking right here. You go, dude. sip of water, carbonated water on my way into work. And they, they uh, turn their ankles. Uh, one guaranteed way to turn your ankle is to elevate your foot up off the ground on a platform so that when your foot does start to roll, um, it's got a long way over and that angle, well, that distance of that angle amplifies the, um, the torque, the twist, and that's more likely to um, turn your ankle and sprain it or break it or whatever. And the lower you are to the ground, kind of like a race car, the less likely you are to flip, the less um, twist there is on your, uh, I don't know if it's twist, bend there is on your ankle to get you to um, hurt yourself. And um, low profile shoes um, that have you closer to the ground uh, low heel drop shoes are less likely to do that and a huge uh, place for this is trail running by the way because there are all these roots and stuff like that but we have a problem in long distance I'm waiting to turn here I'm going to turn off my blinker so people well I'll leave it on and a huge problem in long distance is these uh, other shoe brands All my old pair of ultras are kind of like this Hoka, and I'm trying to think of all the different brands. They have um, a high platform to add extra cushioning, right? Because you're going a long way, and that cushioning's nice. Um, well, then you've got that increased chance for uh, ankle roll and injury. Take these earphones out of my ears. The Zen part of the Zen of this podcast is I. Uh, I let you hear all the um, background stuff and the pauses and all that. And I describe it because uh, Zen is being present and nothing artificial. And chopping stuff out uh, is fake. So I, that's why I leave a lot of this stuff in. You're welcome. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, it's a battle in my mind. Like, do I leave this in? Do I edit it? Because I've re-listened to everything. I'm like, do I, do I chop that out? long pauses I, I often take out long pauses and I'm starting to think about leaving them in because there's still noise and when people meditate in Zen they spend long times uh, with uh, no sound and one of the biggest uh, thumbs up I got on my podcast years ago was the um, and I chopped it down to much less than what it was was uh, I was walking at night, I was running, and this is about a year or so ago, a uh, year and a half, and there's crickets and cicadas, and it was at night, and I just let it, I was talking about the stars, and then I just decided to be quiet and let the uh, the tape, <laughs> let the tape roll and um, see what happens. And it was nice. Anyway, the Escalantes are this maximum cushion shoe but because they're low heel and it's, I believe they're the TPU material, um, you've greatly reduced your chance of injury. 
Isn't that cool? So, I don't know if there's an Escalante trail yet. They just, they don't have much traction because they're street shoes. They need just a little bit, a little bit more traction and you could have a, a trail running shoe. So I'm gonna keep my eye out for that because I can't wait to start trail running again. All right, um, part of becoming enlightened and enlightened is a little bit different for everybody. It's kind of what do you need to see the world more clearly? That's really all it is. Uh, enlightenment is, it's not a destination. It's an understanding. So the faster you try to get there, the more likely you are to miss it. <laughs> and so it's an understanding. And right, your understanding of things might need to be different than mine because of where you came from and your upbringing. And your delusions are slightly different than my own. And so what works on you to undelude your mind, to enlighten, to turn on the light is different for uh, different people. A good analogy is the enlightenment in Europe out of the dark ages, right? Well, that was specific to Europe, the Renaissance. You know, it depended on what they were dark on. They were dark on uh, engineering because uh, they'd lost that. Uh, they rediscovered it during the crusade, sort of. And uh, because the Arab uh, nations had held on to it. And they were dark on oh, letting uh, women do things and uh, just a whole, you know, medicine and all this other stuff, science, probably uh, astronomy, physics, <laughs> a lot of stuff. But their enlightenment was relative to them, right? So your enlightenment is relative to you. And the way you get there. As you age, and if you pay attention, you, you have moments of enlightenment. And uh, Joko Beck is this lady that passed away just a few years ago, and she was a Zen master. And she's actually got talks on YouTube. Uh, and one of, her, um, one of her talks, she was like 90-something when she passed away. One of her talks, and it's J-O-K-O, she describes that, well, enlightenment's not that great. I mean, it's not like this miracle, but you have these moments of enlightenment and they last where you have a sudden understanding of things, a better understanding. You're like, oh, I get it. I'm about to, I'm about to tell you one for me, but the, um, and it might not work for you because you might already know this and you don't need it. It's not going to turn on any light. Oh, enlightenment is turns on the lights. Right? It's just like going to a dark room and you can't see. Or you're working on a car underneath and it's dark under there. And so you're like, I don't know what's wrong with my car. Why is it making all this racket? <laughs> well, if you take a light under there, all of a sudden you can see under the car and you're like, oh. Uh, power steering fluid is low, which actually if you just, if you lift the hood, you know, then you can see better, right? So that that's uh, lightning. Lighting. 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 And... You, um, well, Joko, again, J-O-K-O, not J-O-C-K-O, Beck, like the singer, um, said you have these moments of enlightenment, and they're great, but they only last about an hour, and, and she's about, she's right, because I paid attention to a couple of the last ones that I've had, and they last about an hour, but on top of that, they do kind of collect, you know, like, let's say it's a candle, 
and enlightenment is a cave and you add another candle and you add another candle one candle yeah right around the candle you've kind of got clarity around that one problem you know while your car is making that noise but um or it could be around nutrition you know oh this one kind of car maple syrup by paying attention it does this i know a lot about maple syrup right well but you don't know much about everything else so you're not enlightened about nutrition yet and these but these things do add up and yeah maybe the candles burn burn, you know you light another candle like whoa and like i said i'm gonna tell you one and uh and then you know when you first light it it's real bright it's you're paying it i guess because you're staring at it you know it's bright pupils get big hold on taking a drink But then, you know, it dims a little bit. But it's still there. Don't blow it out. Collect it. They're almost impossible to forget. It'd be great if you wrote them down. I write mine down now. The past few years, I've started writing them down. And then I can review them on occasion. I'll probably review some today. Like, wow, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, that's true. Whoa, that's true. And these moments, like, they change the way you see things and they change your actions. That's really important, too. They change your approach to how you do stuff. And they add up. And then after a while, you've got 100, 200, 300 uh, candles. And the room goes from being dark and scary to like, oh, wow, this is kind of uh, whatever room you really like, you know, like I was about to say, you know, room, but I'm like, man, I like a nature scene, like a nice valley <laughs> with uh, an elk, you know, walking across it and everybody's happy if they're well, with nobody. <laughs> I'm by myself. Um, but anyway, so I was running this morning and uh, running is a great way to have these uh, moments because you're left alone with your mind. And these meditation insights kind of run with you. And I thought, I was thinking about, you know, like running with the shoes and like how much do I run and da da da, you know, how much should I run with the, the zero drop heel and all that stuff. And, and also I was contemplating because of previous moments of um, mistakes I've made, you know, and experiences I've gotten mistakes equal wisdom over time and that's probably a formula you know e equals mc squared well, uh, <laughs> e for enlightenment equals mistakes divided by time <laughs> multiplied squared by uh willingness to pay attention or something but anyway the uh the the, the insight i had was like one of the delusions because if you can wipe away delusions where mis- you know incorrect thinking about things and a lot of them aren't your fault you know they're given to you by your parents they're given to you by society you know advertising like you gotta have this or else you're not cool um was a lot is to act a delusion is is we act like like time doesn't exist and what's outrageous is time exists all around us all the time we act like time's not gonna happen right 
I've got to I've got to do these intervals right now in these shoes. And it's like, well, you're acting like there's not going to be a future, and of course there's going to be a future. Time, we you sit there and look at the watch, the second hand on a watch, it just ticks over. There is going to be a time in the future to heal your injury or for that next race, and uh, and we have experience like. Uh, Things in the past happened a short time ago, a long time ago, and we learn with over time things get better. You know, we uh, we're not as upset about something um, that we were upset about a long time ago as we are as upset about something that happened uh, just a few minutes ago. And, but our delusion is is like time doesn't exist. <laughs> it exists. Time is real. You can't get away from it. I know it's kind of, a, if you get into the physics of things and, and uh, relativity, time is sort of an illusion, but it is practically, it is very real and time is going to happen. So you got to ask yourself, when you're doing something and you're getting caught up and I need to do this and I should, should is always a red flag. I should do this. I should do this. Ask yourself, is this something that's going to get better over time because time is going to happen. Time is real. You know, I'm driving down a road right now. I don't need to get in the right-hand lane six miles before my turn and then get all frustrated because there's cars that keep stopping in front of me to turn. In time, I'm going to get closer to where I need to be and then I could put my car over there, right? Well, we learn these things. So why don't we practice them more? So there's a little candle for you, for your uh, bags, your gee whiz bag, as my old boss used to say. Put it in, the, put it in there, and then uh, Buddhism, as opposed to Zen. Zen is chopping things down and getting rid of delusions and thinking about right now. It's just experiencing the right now. But Zen sprang out of Buddhism, and what it is, is Zen is like stripped down Buddhism, and then Buddhism is a philosophy of lists <laughs> and of tools, just tools and tools and tools and tools of realizing how to realize this and how to reframe that and how to approach this, and is this true and is this real, right? And when you combine the two, you have the stripping down, paying attention to the stripping down of everything. And then with practice and with study, you've got in your back pocket, in your gee whiz bag, all these tools. So you can, uh, when I was running this morning and with my new tool is, uh, I thought about going harder or I was actually kind of upset because I was like, man, why am I not running faster? <laughs> and I thought, you are acting like time doesn't exist. You're getting faster over time, which means you will continue to get faster over time. And also, if you rush things, you compress, you're trying to, you're trying to fake time, you're trying to beat time, which is impossible. Time goes at its own pace. And you know that it takes, uh, you need days and weeks and, and uh, you need days to recover from a hard workout. You need weeks to recover from a bunch of, like a week of hard stuff and you need months to recover from a real injury. 
So stop it. And then you can pay attention to that and go, is this true? And you're like, yeah, you know what? That's true. All right. I got to go in to W to the ERK. We'll talk more of it now. Bang. All right. Oh, wind. All right. I am <laughs> the baddest of them all. No. All right. I am finishing up a great little run not fast not hard but everything else about it is beautiful 67 degrees in february humid just finished raining i stopped and took a couple pictures i got started a little bit early <sighs> two things about it made it special was uh last night i was doing my bike ride an hour on the bike and it sucked so I quit early because I was tired and my legs were sore, which means you don't really need to train if you're like that. You're just going to make yourself worse, but you have to be able to let go of the ego and say, I don't need to train. The training's done if you're like that and you need to recover. And then also, so that was smart. I woke up this morning and felt energized. But one way you can tell that, um, you need to not ride the bike is if you have a power meter you can see that your power numbers are low versus your perceived effort so if you're trying like an 8 out of 10 like you usually do or 7 out of 10 or whatever but your watts are like 20 30 40 watts below what you usually do and that ain't good and um so if that's the case you know, and you're done warming up, you, um, you need to shut it down. You're not going to do anything to help you out. You actually need to rest. And then oh, this humid breeze coming off the Gulf of Mexico is nice. And then, um, I've been running. I've got three runs in with these new shoes. I've got some ultra A L T R A is the brand Escalante is the model and ultras are great because they have um, a wide front toe box which is good for stability and overall foot health and there is zero drop heel so they uh, have you not running on your heel as much and in a over time it's good for your uh, plantar fasciitis and your calves and stuff because it allows you to use the full length of your leg and not get all clenched up and tightened up like you're walking around in high heels like running shoes are running normal running shoes have a built-up heel because people land on their heels and it just encourages more of that so these have a um they're flat there's no rise in the heel so it teaches you to run more midfoot and quit slamming in your heels and the problem with slamming in your heels is it's a braking motion so every step you're kind of slowing yourself down Anyway, there's a whole, you can look up the chi of running, C-H-I, get all into that stuff. I used to be a barefoot runner, actually, a long time ago. And then, oh, I would run like eight miles at a time, 10 miles barefoot <laughs> on pavement, um, even trail sometimes too. Anyway, those are old podcasts. The, uh, that really uh, teaches you to clean up your running form, by the way, to run flat shoes or a barefoot some. 
And then also this, this Escalante model is Ultra's uh, own version of the Adidas Boost. So I have an older pair of uh, Ultras, just one pair, and I decided to never buy any again until I figure out what's going on. Um, they, I got not very many miles in them, and then they just turned to rocks. They weren't, um, the cushioning sucked. It was good at first, but then blew out like ridiculously quickly. And the, um, let me stop this one. 6.32 miles in one hour and seven seconds. And safe. So anyway, sipping on maple syrup, two tablespoons, almost two tablespoons, about a hundred calories of uh, maple syrup along with some sea salt mixed in anyway um <sighs> mix in with water the um the escalante is ultra's version with uh, boost adidas boost in it but it's not adidas's brand but what it is this stuff is just thermoplastic urethane tpu you can get iphone cases with it you know, like TPU is a known plastic, but they just figured out to put it in running shoes about five years ago and how to put it in running shoes. So it stayed and uh, it is incredible. So it is soft, but bouncy. So it's not soft and squishy and, and too squishy. It's, it returns energy, um, which is a uh, physics property. You know, some things don't return any energy, some things um, return very uh, too much energy. This returns just a wonderful amount and it's real springy. And they also, TPU has an incredibly long shelf life, not shelf, running life. So you can run um, five, six, seven, eight hundred miles, I guess, depending on your weight, thousand miles, and the, the, the soles don't lose their squish, which is awesome for long distance stuff. And it's a good investment. And the Escalante is like 50 bucks cheaper than the Adidas Boost. Adidas knows what they got. So they've been, uh, they're, they're a fashion trend now. So they've jacked up the price. And Escalantes have this. But anyway, this is just a, you know, a three-run review of them. Uh, it's not my long-term review. So don't go crazy uh, thinking this is the solution to everything just yet. But, and also, um, you have to learn how to run in zero-drop shoes uh, and low heel shoes, uh, because it stretches out your calves. So, because you're using your calves getting lower to the ground, uh, or your heels are getting lower to the ground. So it stretches out your calves and that's fine, but you've run thousands, hundreds, thousands, if not a million miles in your life, um, the other, with the other shoes. So you're not used to it. So it's going to tear you up. So what they say is, you know, one mile, just run one mile, half a mile, whatever, you know, a loop out and back from your house to put on your other, your old shoes. And then next run, uh, you know, like two miles, next run, three miles, next run, four miles, uh, you know, and fin and go finish out your run with them until they don't bother you. And then it's wonderful. So anyway, that's it. I'm going to go inside. I got to get to W to the ERK. 
Emily's got to get out of here. She's got a, a, a meeting before work she's got to go to. Go make sure she's getting her act together. Got face ID on this new phone. Let's see. And stop. And stop. And stop. All right, let's take a minute here and talk about our show donations. If you like Zentry and you want to help keep Zentry on the air, it's really easy to do. There's two ways. You have a choice. Do one of two ways. You can either support the show directly through a PayPal donation, and that's you can do either recurring or a one-time donation. I got a one-time donation earlier today. I'm going to read off in a minute uh, from Julie. Julie B. And uh, she left a little email in there too. And the um, that's on the left-hand side of zentrathlon.com. And on zentrathlon.com, it has all the old shows. You can hit play, play it right from there. Um, every once in a while, I'll make a blog post about something. There's one in there about maltodextrin. And also, you can do a yeah recurring or one-time donation. And then... When the donation comes in, I read, I read them. I, I enjoy seeing, you know, like where people are from and their names. So I'll remember your email address. If you ever email me uh, with a question, then I see that you've donated before. And I'm like, hey, I'll be glad to uh, give you some tips on uh, your question about lactic acid. Lactic acid is real, people. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's from the Wildflower Triathlon I did. Anyway, um... Let's see. And the other way is to get Hornet juice on the right-hand side. You can scroll down and order Hornet juice. Hornet juice is an amino acid powder you add to your fuel. One packet lasts an hour and a half. And you only really need it for like longer workouts. And so it's a good deal, a smart buy as well, like the 3pmbites.com that that we talked about at the beginning of the show. And I like saving money in triathlon. I like to help you guys save money because this sport is way too expensive. So anyway, I can get you guys to um, save some bucks here and there so you can spend it instead on the important stuff is uh, what, what I like. So Hornet Juice is a smart buy. Um, it turns on your fat burning. It's, a, it's an amino acid blend where it's very certain amino acids in certain ratios. And what it does is it turns on your fat burning and turns you into a diesel engine when like a train whenever you're doing uh, longer workouts. It is amazing stuff. And then you can just have a really simple fuel that's all carbs and then just add this to it and boom, you are set. Along with some salt stick would be smart too. But it's... um. It's easy to get. It's on the right-hand side, and it's uh, purple and yellow. It's Hornet juice, and you get either a 10-pack or a 20-pack. Now, what's really cool is it comes from New Zealand. You get an email from me saying, hey, I got your order, and then I contact the uh, Hornet juice company in New Zealand, and they send it on. You get it uh, as a discount through me. And then Hornet juice and appreciation gives me just a tiny little bit off the top of your order for promoting them and so what you're, what's happening is you're getting something really cool, you're helping support the show, and also you're improving uh, your workouts and you get something to show off to people at the same time. Like, check out this Hornet Juice. I get emails all the time from people that are like, holy cow, dude, this stuff is nuts. It's not jittery like caffeine. It is just before when you used to get kind of tired at like two, three hours into your bike ride, you it feels like you just keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's just because uh, that, if you turn on your fat burning, it's like it's like the fountain of youth halfway through your workout. You just feel like so much uh, power. It's really crazy. 
So that is a way to get that. Let's go ahead and mention our donors this time around. We have Allison Frutos, Malthin, <laughs> Matthew Froese, M. Webb, Tyler Moyer. What's up, dude? Uh, Dwayne Morin, Joseph Deber, Jeffrey Hendricks, Houston Marsh. Oh, man, Jeffrey Hendricks up in uh, Canada. Dude, get warm soon, man. That is brutal up there. Um, Rick Foster, Michael Redogna, Brett, the coolest first name in triathlon, Hoyer, Karen Jackson. Karen's my mom's name. Let's see, Simon Wright, Daniel Clemens, Derek Riddell, Pablo Cacho, and Justice, the other coolest first name in triathlon, Phillips. Justice, uh, Justice is a dude, but I remember writing down Justice as one of the names that we were going to name uh, our baby uh, before he was born if it was going to be a girl uh, because I just liked Justice. It sounds like so cool. Such a cool name. Uh, Jonathan Woodman, Tanya Roy, Hun Chu, John Mulan, Katie Joe Favia, Hans Henrik Madsen, Peter Salzen, and James Godak. Thank you, guys. And we have one more with a little email, just a note. Um, Julie Bakke sent in a one-time donation, and uh, which was really cool. And she says, thanks for the podcast. Helps on some long, boring treadmill runs. Bakke fam! <laughs> Smiley face. <laughs> Exclamation point. Okay. Um, I also want to mention here at the end of the show, you may have noticed that I'm trying to uh, turn the podcast more into... Uh, less into interviews with other people and uh, like, I, I mean, I'll do them if, if I can. If, like, dude, Maka, are you kidding me? Chris McCormick, hell yes. I'll interview him. And um, Andrew Starkowitz, you know, uh, gosh, they just go on and on, all these all these fantastic pros. But it's it's difficult and it actually slows down the number of podcasts I can I can get out. So I had a turning point where I was like, you know, there is some real value to just talking about um, applying Zen. I hardly ever do it because Zen is a thing where Zen is reality. It's chopping things down to just reality and talking about reality. Now you're talking about reality and now it's not real anymore. So there's this other thing called the stink of Zen. It's where you talk about Zen too much. But I feel that we're at a point where... um, We've learned so much about how to apply Zen to triathlon. And every time I talk about it, just into endurance sports and to life, that every time I talk about it, um, I get so many responses and emails from people that are like, that show was really cool, that thing that you talked about. And also, there is something about um, when you're out, uh, the audience you know, you're endurance athletes and when you're out biking and running and, um, it's harder. I've listened to podcasts on a swim P3, which is this like waterproof MP3 player. It's a little bit harder, but, um, there is something about listening to talks about Zen and, um, just self-improvement kind of stuff that is very therapeutic and relaxing. And I really, I really enjoy listening to that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like white noise, 
But just the repetition of it and the constant reminders that this works and that this works and this works and this works, eventually you start believing in it and it, and it uh, helps you. And then the other thing is um, with the amount of volume and training that we do in triathlon, that being amped up on fast-paced music, it gets you like training too hard and there's a real uh, risk of injury and burnout and stuff. So... Uh, uh, an observation and a tip is um, the more mellow stuff that you listen to down to the point of just talk you know it could be news uh, well, news can get you mad but stuff just like you know talking about something that you want to learn about it could be zen it could be carpentry it could be um, uh, you know how to build your own computer you know just whatever um, it's soothing and it and it makes you relaxed, and then on while you're doing your your uh, longer your workouts, it actually helps. It makes you a better athlete, a better triathlete, endurance athlete, especially long distance, because you need to pull back from the motivation, the accidental motivation to go too hard. Um, what works in our sport? is to go out and train a lot, right? But to not train as hard as you think you need to. So that is the irony in triathlon is it's a, about to use a bad word here, it's a shit ton of training. (laughs) But it's also training uh, quite a bit less intensely than what you want to. So um. You know, it's like the the hands of justice or you know, the the balance scale of justice here is, um, or I don't know, that's a bad that's a bad metaphor, but or analogy. But the um, the whole point is, if you go out and train a ton and you listen to fast paced stuff the entire time, you're gonna get there's a really big chance you're gonna get overtrained and burned out. So instead. Uh, you you should consider listening to finding stuff that's just real mellow and real chill and then learning to love that and just getting in the volume and nice and easy. And that kind of keeps you paced slow. And then you start getting in all that volume. You can, you can get in all the volume because you're not too tired all the time. A good example is when uh, I learned uh, all the times doing ultra trail run marathons that to put it on either talk or um, I had headphones in, put the headphone, whatever I was listening to, to either talk or really slow, easy type of music until the last like hour, <laughs> if like the last half hour. And then the, like the last hour, half hour, put it on rock and roll. And then the last 15 minutes, put it on death metal. And it worked. It worked really, really well. It kept me paced. So, and anytime I started pushing the pace, um, I, w- I would think, oh yeah, yeah, keep it chill, keep it chill. But psychologically, like it, it really does work. So back to my point is there's a lot of value to, I understand now there's a lot of value and I'm okay now with the value of um, just talking and telling y'all, um, y'all what I've learned and what I know about applying um, Zen 
to triathlon and if it's just me talking i don't need a guest i don't i don't uh a guest is nice but i don't have to have a guest and uh we can talk about we can talk about zen and just the rain the rain on the car and um you know how to fuel and and my experiences and your experiences with training and just keep it nice and chill and that is actually really valuable to us it's very useful and it's okay <laughs> it's all gonna be okay all right okay let's uh let's wrap up this segment right here and then i will uh let's wrap up the show and i'll leave that with you for you to uh think about and uh email me with some comments on that uh texafornia at gmail.com if you uh if you have some thoughts on show topics i could talk about would be really cool i've got endless ones but we can always uh i can always put a zen twist on triathlon stuff it they are intertwined so much it's unbelievable that's why the show's named that and let's see coming up uh soon very soon in a week and a half i have a hundred mile bike ride hopefully uh, a Grand Fondo that I'm going to try to um, go a little bit faster on than I have before or a little bit more watts. We'll see what happens. going to be testing out some uh, new fuel, some more. And uh, let's see, we have Emily uh, training for a half Ironman. And I think uh, that's all the big stuff that's going on. I'm, I've been forbidden to participate in the Galveston Half Ironman myself by Emily uh, because she wants me to coach her and then be there uh, to help her out in case anything uh, goes wrong and be be 100% support crew, which is totally cool. And that's what's on my agenda. Okay, everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. Out.